right, let's go before the Lord and pray and ask for his blessing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you this morning again as your people who are always in need, in need of everything, in need of salvation, in need of encouragement. We pray, Lord, that you speak to us and show us the things of Christ, things that relate to our own salvation. We thank you for all these that you've gathered around your word this morning. May you speak to them, may you teach them, may you encourage them. Lord, we honor you and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31. Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, the Holy Spirit recorded for us and said, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of a husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She gets herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, and the lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes Tapestry for herself, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She washes over the ways of a household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, he shall be praised Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And that's the word of the Lord. And we have one title as we had with the first installment, who is the Proverbs 31 woman, part two, who is the Proverbs 31 woman, part two, and we'll begin with the words of the Lord Jesus, who said, Behold, I have come. In the volume 
in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, it is written about me, to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it is written about Christ to come and do the will of God. And the volume of the book that the Lord referenced was the Old Testament scriptures. Apostle Paul and many other preachers of old preached Christ from the same Old Testament scriptures. Let's go to the book of Acts 17. Acts 17. Acts 17. Luke recorded and said, starting from verse 1 to 5. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So Paul reasoned with the Jews from the Scriptures, from the Old Testament Scriptures. The Jews were very familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. But about what? To prove one thing, Christ Jesus. But how? How did he do that? The text says, by explaining and demonstrating from the Scriptures. So we explain and we demonstrate in what manner the testimony of Christ was carried in these Old Testament Scriptures. And for us, it is not enough to say that all the Scriptures testify of Christ. That's true. We want to demonstrate and explain how they do that, in what manner they demonstrate Christ. But in doing that, as Paul was doing that, this is what happened, verse 4 of Acts 17. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas, which means they believed the testimony that they were bringing. So some will be persuaded that this indeed is the testimony of Christ, but not all will be persuaded. Not all will agree. Verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, <laughs> becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people to be beaten up, to be killed even. So the unbelieving Jews set the city in an uproar because of unbelief. That's the matter. They became envious to the truth that the Old Testament scriptures testified not about them, not about their own righteousness according to the law, but of Christ. 
the Jews thought they were God's people because they had the scriptures. And that they were doing the things that the Old Testament scriptures were saying. But Christ comes and says, no, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify of me. So nothing new under the sun as it was then, so it is still now. People do not want the Bible to only talk about Jesus. They want also to make some cameo or cameo appearances. <laughs> and so be careful how you hear the testimony that people are saying about Jesus. And that to say, the Proverbs 31 woman is not speaking of our beloved sisters. It's not. If Proverbs 31 was devoted or was given as an exhortation for women, then we should also have Proverbs 30 or 32 devoted to them because God is not respect of persons. Of course, we do not have Proverbs 32. The book of Proverbs ends with Proverbs 31. But my point remains that this was not about the industry of women, their diligence to be homemakers and stuff. I know that theology is out there, but women being homemakers and stuff, I'm going to preach on it one of these days. Remember the Bible is a spiritual book, and these are spiritual things, and thus they are spiritually understood. So naturally, some will be offended because they have heavily invested themselves in this ideal. But we do not preach that way. We do not believe that way. We use these scriptures to bring the testimony of Christ and salvation, and that we will do now. Because if you take this text as is and go to Muslims, to Buddhists, and you preach exactly how it is, no one gets offended. You take it to the Jews and you preach it as is, no one gets offended because you did not bring the offense. It's only when you see Christ in it that the offense comes up, that God begins to speak to them, that God begins to bring conviction. So the Proverbs writer, most likely a continuation of the words of Lemuel's mother, Lemuel the king, to his son, says, who can find a virtuous woman, a woman of noble character, a godly woman? And the anticipated answer is no one. That is a rhetorical question. Because the woman that is in the picture is the wisdom of Christ personified. Christ is the one who is personified in the diligence of the woman, in the character of the woman, in the doing of the woman. And we spoke in the last message to the matter of typology and said God used a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament and even some in the New Testament to paint the picture of Christ. And this is the understanding of typology. A type is a picture that prefigures 
or shows the person or work of Christ. But it's only a shadow. And that type or shadow is not limited to Christ alone. In the Old Testament, we have types of God the Father. As was with the case of Abraham. Abraham bore or carried the testimony of God the Father who offered his son Isaac. Abraham, Isaac being a type of Christ because he's the one who was offered on Mount Moriah. And Eleazar being a picture of the Holy Spirit because he's the one who was sent of Abraham to bring testimony of Isaac to Rebekah. And that means Rebekah was a picture of the church. But what we have learned and are still learning is that types are very fluid. God is constantly moving the camera. It doesn't tell you that it is, things have changed. <laughs> so one person can carry more than one picture depending on the context. So we see Isaac also becoming a type of God when he was about to bless Jacob. Isaac became a type of God. So the type is always inferior to its fulfillment and the fulfillment of a type is called an anti-type, anti-type or archetype. But many get too fixated on the shadow and miss the substance. So moralizing this text comes from a failure to be weaned from the shadow and failing to see Christ. And as you may know, winning children can be hard. Ask the mothers. <laughs> In the matter of Proverbs 31, the fulfillment is Christ. It has to be Christ, otherwise it is not profitable to make us wise according to salvation. Okay? We don't want to preach a Maya Angelo book on wisdom or one of these other well-known people who used to dispense all kinds of useful ideas and wisdom. That's, no, that's not what we're doing here. But hear this, this is what she is and this is what she has done. This woman has a very marvelous resume. Verse 11, we'll begin from verse 11 by way of kind of recap and reconnect some of the points. Verse 11 of Proverbs 31. The heart of a husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She is trusted by husband to do all the work that she has been given. She does all the cooking, all the laundry, everything on time and well. She doesn't have a dishwasher. She uses her own hands. <laughs> His work is safe in her hands. And that is Christ who is trusted of the Father to accomplish all of God's will, especially in the matter of the salvation of his people. And this is why God appointed Christ as the surety, substitute and mediator of our salvation. God did not appoint the angels. He did not appoint us. He did not appoint the Pope at Rome 
to be the mediator of our salvation. You don't give that kind of work to anyone who has two hands and two feet and expect it to be done. The husband who have no lack of gain because Christ accomplished God's sovereign will. So I was saying, this is the reason why God appointed Christ as a surety and substitute for his people. He could not entrust any matter of salvation to sinners. Okay? And then the text says, the husband will have no lack of gain because Christ accomplished God's sovereign will and purpose. There's no real loss when it comes to dealing with Christ, either for us or from God's perspective. God has not been shortchanged by appointing Christ to be our salvation. And we have not been shortchanged by God appointing Christ to represent us. So God is completely glorified in Christ, and thus we have no lack of gain or dividends from all the work of Christ. Okay, verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Christ Jesus is he in whom there is no deceit. No deceit was found in his mouth. Holy, undefiled and separate from sinners. It is he in him was all the goodness. And so he did God good by accomplishing all that was given him to do. Verse 18. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Christ is he who sought the best material to accomplish the work of weaving our righteousness with his hands. In the fullness of time, he entered human flesh that he may work with his own hands. Work what with his own hands to work our righteousness. And this righteousness that Christ accomplished was not some cheap righteousness, but God's righteousness. Romans 10 calls that the righteousness of God. It is no regular righteousness that you can find at a discount store. This is the perfection of righteousness. Verse 14, she is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Merchant ships sought and brought goods from afar. And Christ brought goods from what? From where? He brought Salvation from heaven. And that is far. Question. Which or what Proverbs 31 woman in our day is bringing their food from afar? <laughs> Are they not buying Doritos at the supermarket? Chicken McNuggets at McDonald's drive through Or even ordering pizza from their phone app? That's not bringing food from afar. Verse 15. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Christ Jesus is he who rose early 
in the morning in the resurrection because he had accomplished the cooking of food for the salvation of his people. When the women came to the tomb early in the morning, the Christ was already risen. He has already finished the work of salvation. He provides food for his household, and that means the church. The food of Christ is salvation. It is the gospel. It is eternal life. The gospel alone feeds a man or woman unto eternal life. It is only the gospel. Jesus even said, the words that I speak are life. They are spirit and they are life. Here, John 6, 27, this is what the Lord said to the Jews after he had fed them with some free food and they wanted more. They wanted more, what do you call them, pancakes. <laughs> they were following Jesus to get more pancakes. And Jesus said to them, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. The Proverbs 31 woman, as traditionally understood, who cause many to labor for the food that perishes. Christ says, no. It is the food that the Son of Man gives that is what endures to eternal life. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From a prophet, she plants a vineyard. Many of the Proverbs 31 women of our day don't even know how to work a field or plant a thing or kill and dress a chicken. They'll say, oh, it's gross, but they still love to eat the chicken wings. <laughs> but the person in view is Christ. It's Christ who considered the field of the New Testament and purchased it with his own blood. Remember the field of blood that was purchased at the valuation of Christ from the 30 pieces of silver for the burial of strangers. That's what Christ did. He considered a field, not just any other field, the field that he came to purchase with his own blood was the New Testament. And when the field was purchased, the text said from Matthew that it was for the burial of strangers. And for that, let's hear Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 from verse 11. Therefore, remember that you... Once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That means condemned. But now, 
the transition. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we are the strangers who have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ and have now found a burial place, a resting place, a burial or a resting place. The idea of burial is resting. That is the traditional understanding. And so the blood of Christ purchased a burial place, a resting place for God's people, those who were strangers. So we are resting in the New Testament that was established by the blood of Christ. He also considered the church. And from the profits of his labor, he planted and established his church. Because our labor profits nothing. It is only the labor of Christ that is profit. Because the labor of Christ is salvation. And the church is his vineyard that is planted by him and in him. And Christ is the true vine and the Father is the vine dresser. So the vineyard that he planted is the church which the Father comes and dresses. That's John 15 teaching. Verse 17 of Proverbs 31 she gets herself with strength and strengthens her arms. The Lord Jesus gathered himself with strength to cause our salvation. This was no work cut out for the lazy ones. The Lord strengthened his arms even on the cross as he took God's judgment on behalf of his people. You need to have strong arms for that kind of work. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. The Lord Jesus is he who has the merchandise that is good. Remember, God alone is good. And so the Lord alone has merchandise that is good. The Lord has given us free salvation. He has freely justified and made us holy, made us without spot or wrinkle and above reproach. That is the gospel declaration. And that is a good gift from God. The Holy Spirit too is good merchandise. A good gift from the Lord. And that means he has been given on account of the work of Christ. And pay attention that the work of Christ here is being presented as merchandise. Merchandise are goods that are bought and sold in business. But we have to go beyond the regular merchandise that we buy in the mall. God is not talking about the things that we buy in the mall. The merchandise is in reference to the things that have to be exchanged in trade exchange in trade. That is why the Lord asked and said, for what profit is it to a man 
if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? And what shall they give in exchange? So right there, there's an exchange. That's commerce. That's the language of commerce. The Lord Jesus also was an accountant. The best accountant. What merchandise of value do you and I have to exchange for eternal life? That's the question that the Lord is asking. What do you have of value to bring to God to exchange with him for eternal life? Because eternal life is not intrinsic to us. It is intrinsic to the person and nature of God. That is the question that is not being answered, not being asked, and being answered in the manner that God has answered it. What shall you give in exchange? What shall you do to be righteous before God? The Christ who is presented in the woman is he who has the merchandise that is good for exchange. <laughs> he is the one who has the good merchandise. She perceives, verse 18 again, she perceives that her merchandise is good. Christ knows that his righteousness is good. He knows that this gospel is good. And a lamp does not go out by night. His light does not go out because he is God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The light of God cannot be extinguished by anything. The darkness of sin could not overcome the light of the truth that was and is with Christ Jesus. And the Lord Jesus in the book of John said, Walk in the light whilst there is still light because darkness is coming. Walk in the light because darkness is coming. But his light will not go out. His light will not go out for the redeemed. Even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their trials of life, his light will not go out. Even on the day of judgment, his light will not go out for the redeemed. Even at the time of death, his light will not go out for the redeemed. But judgment is going to be darkness and gloom for those who don't have the light. But not for the redeemed, as happened in Egypt. Let's go to Exodus I believe it's Exodus 10. The ninth plague in Egypt was darkness. From verse 21. Exodus 10, right? From verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. A darkness that can even be felt. Feeling darkness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. 
they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. God separated the Egyptians from his people Israel by way of light and darkness. The redeemed are called the children of light. And that also means those on whom God's judgment has been removed. They have light in their dwellings. Pay attention to verse 23 of Exodus. It says, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. The children of God have light in their dwellings. So the matter of light and darkness is a matter of salvation and judgment. Even as the Lord Jesus was on the cross, he was in the middle as the mediator of light, which is salvation, and darkness between the two thieves. To the one thief, there was light, there was life, there was salvation. For him, this very day you shall be with me in paradise. But the other thief continued to mock as testimony of his darkness. So the light and darkness are spiritual realities. They are spiritual matters. God is preaching. Okay. Verse 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. Christ is he who stretched out his hands on the cross to spin the yarn that he may give it form. He may weave righteousness for his people. Christ was weaving salvation. Verse 20. She extends a hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Many of those who claim to be the prophets said one women are stingy. <laughs> yes, they are. Some of them are. But this Christ has extended and extends his outstretched hands of the cross to the benefit of the poor and needy. And that means sinners. Physical poverty is only a picture of the deeper spiritual poverty of all of humanity. God is preaching our spiritual poverty in the picture of physical poverty. Hear the words of the Lord in Revelation 3 to the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 17, and then 18. He says to the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church, because you say, I'm rich, that's all physical stuff, have become wealthy, and the result of that is, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched. This is Christ's testimony of them. You are wretched, you are miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See those categories. Spiritual categories and physical categories. They think they are rich, they are wealthy. And they are putting confidence in that. And Christ comes and says, no, you are not. 
wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, very short resumes. The shorter your resume is before God, the better. Miserable, poor, blind, naked. Do the prophet said one woman stretch out the hands to reach the wretched, the miserable, the poor, blind, and naked, and help them with their wretchedness, help them with their misery, help them with their poverty before God, with their blindness to see the truth, nakedness to the reality of the righteousness of Christ. No, but what does the Christ actually do for these? Verse 18, Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy from me God refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The white garments of Christ. That your nakedness, that your shame may not be revealed. And that's what the gospel is saying. That only the righteousness of Christ covers all your shame. Only the righteousness of Christ has you standing before God covered. No shame, no nakedness. It doesn't matter how long the dress is, my people. That's not the righteousness. That's not the righteousness. Don't put confidence in your long dress. Put confidence in the dress of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. Trust the righteousness of the Son of God. But how do you buy from Christ gold and white garments? How do you buy? How do you afford such? Should we liquidate our cryptocurrency accounts? <laughs> Isaiah 55, 1 and 3. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. That doesn't make sense. You have no money, and yet you are being called to come and buy. Come, you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Without money and without price. And that means by grace alone. Come and buy with nothing. Bring nothing. Christ will give you the means of exchange by his grace. Come with nothing. And yet you have these progressive sanctification preachers saying, come to Christ, but bring your own obedience to it. Make it better. Improve upon Jesus. Bring your own money and prize. But Christ says, come without money and without price and buy for free. And I'll give it to you for free. For salvation is only for free. If God does not give it for free, he does not give it at all. Why do you spend money? Verse 2 of Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? 
which means all our works of righteousness is bread that does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in the abundance of Christ. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and not die. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. And right there is the sure mercies of Christ. There are many who are very religious, but are still very poor because they did not get the gold that was refined by the suffering in the crucible of the cross. That's the gold that Jesus is talking about. They are still naked because all they have for a covering are the fig leaves of their self-righteousness from the free will fig leaves Baptist church and claim to be the prophesied one woman. And they claim to see. Jesus said, you claim to see. And yet are still blind. And do not see the testimony of Christ. And the Lord said to the Jews in John 9, to those who claim to see, and yet were denying him. They came and said, well, are we blind also? And the Lord said, if we're blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Because you claim to have your own righteousness. Christ says you are blind. You are claiming to see, but you are blind. Therefore, your sin remains. Those are some hard words from Jesus. Verse 21, let's go back to Proverbs 31. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. The Lord Jesus is not afraid of snow. In other words, of adverse weather conditions. Like what? Not like minus 25 degrees in Ohio. But as in God's judgment on his people, that's the idea. Snow is extreme weather. And the Christ is not afraid for his household, the church. Nothing will happen to them. Because his church is clothed with scarlet in some very warm and expressive garments of his righteousness. See that the woman is concerned with the welfare of a household. And that is say the Lord Jesus is only concerned with the welfare of his church elect. That is particular redemption. He does not clothe everyone on his block with scarlet. This woman is being diligent and doing these things for the sake of a household. Verse 22. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. The Lord Jesus is he who has made tapestry of glory of himself. His clothing is fine linen and purple, and that means righteousness and glory as we saw with Joseph in Egypt. Fine linen and the purple 
is for the glory of those who have riches and honor, like Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Now, this is what the New Testament says about women dressing in the church. 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, I believe. 1 Timothy 2, sorry. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. Paul says, Likewise, the women are to dress in suitable apparel with modesty and self-control. The adornment must not be with braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive clothing. And yet, the Proverbs said one woman says she wears fine linen and purple. The New Testament says no. The adornment should not be in expensive clothing. And that tells you that the prophet said one woman is Christ Jesus. It is Christ. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Is your husband known in the gates? <laughs> no, he's not. So you're not doing your job well then. But the husband who is known is God. God the Father is known in the gates because of the work of Christ. Christ has come to reveal God. The one who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him, he has made him known, Christ Jesus. The things that the Lord Jesus did, even his miracles, were testifying of the Father. Verse 24 of Proverbs 31, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. See, she is so much into making these linen garments. I mean, this testimony is over and over and over in Proverbs 31. Why? Because that is the purpose for which Christ came to accomplish righteousness as we have already noted above. She's so much into the weaving of garments. It's about the righteousness. Verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. Strength and honor are her clothing. That is what she carries. That is glory. Christ is he who is clothed in power and honor and shall rejoice in time to come. What time to come? Joy and gladness at the coming of Christ, at the marriage ceremony of the Lamb, in the time to come. So there's a particular time to come that Christ shall rejoice when he shall be revealed in his fullness, that we shall behold him and bless his name, as happened in Revelation 19, verse 6. 
and following. And I heard as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. That is a momentous occasion. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. It was granted her to be arrayed in the fine linen that the Lamb of God weaved. The righteousness of Christ. It was granted her. She did not earn it. She did not earn the fine linen. It was granted her. Salvation is granted by God's grace. Clean and bright. That is contrary to our own clothing that we take to the is dry cleaning. <laughs> or even the washer. These are clean and bright, the fine linen. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write. This is Apostle John writing this. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper. She shall rejoice in time to come. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. These are the faithful sayings of God. Let's go back to Proverbs 31, verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. That alone disqualifies just about everybody, men and women, opening the mouth with kindness. Christ is he who has become to us the wisdom from God. And when he opens his mouth, only wisdom flows out. Because as he said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. On his tongue is the law of kindness. There's no one who can claim that. And what is that law of kindness? Is grace and truth. Grace and truth to those who were under sin and death and condemned to die like Barabbas. Christ spoke kindness to Barabbas. That's how Barabbas was set free. People don't know that. They're looking to see Jesus actually saying things. No, he doesn't have to say anything. Jesus can speak silently. He commands things silently and they happen. He's still speaking kindness. When we get delivered from sickness and death, he has spoken silently. It's his kindness. You don't have to hear words from him. When sinners try to be gracious, they remove the truth. But the truth offends. And when they have the truth, they leave out the grace. But Christ, because of wisdom, has both truth. Truth and grace. Grace and truth came by him. The law of kindness that proceeds from the mouth of Christ is God's gospel 
of free and sovereign grace. This is the law that Christ, as God's messenger, has brought to the coastlands. Christ did not bring the law of Moses. Christ brought his own new law. I thank God that such is he whom he has appointed for us to be our mediator, to be our advocate. The family lawyer is Christ Jesus and high priest. And the Lord will speak to you kindly because that's what he does. In spite of your sins, he still speaks kindly because he can't be kind always to people who are good. That's not kindness. You are kind to people who do not deserve kindness. And his law is kindness. He has become our righteousness and holiness. That's infinite kindness because we're not looking for it. If Christ would bring Mount Sinai to me or to you, that would not be kind to you. Why? Because the law would condemn you. Mount Sinai will condemn you. The old covenant of Moses will condemn you. If the blood does not sanctify you wholly and say you are complete, you are in trouble. Mount Sinai will leave you hopeless on any given day. It is a dead and dark way for anyone to try and approach God by. You know what happened on Mount Sinai when God descended? People said, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to hear all this lightning and thundering and all these things. Because God said, if anyone approaches or touches anything, they are dead. That's Mount Sinai. That's the law. That's the testimony of the law against you. That's not kindness. The law does not speak kindness to a sinner. It seeks their condemnation. But the law of kindness comes and says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. Those who walk not according to the flesh. Now, a lot of people not understanding what Paul is teaching, who say, oh, those who are walking according to the flesh are watching movies after work. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Walking according to the flesh is walking with the mind that righteousness and life can be earned by something that you do. As the Jews were thinking, they thought life and righteousness was going to come from their own obedience to the law. Paul says that's the flesh. But walk, the contrast is walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is not praying in tongues either. <laughs> that is salvation by what Christ accomplished. It's salvation by grace that is walking by the Spirit. Always looking to Christ as your reason of hope. That's walking by the Spirit. So the tongue of Christ speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. Cain murdered Abel and buried him in the ground 
and hid him. And God had, he spoke to Cain and said, I hear the blood of your brother speaking of revenge. That's the contrast. That's the idea from the writing of the book of Hebrews. The blood of Christ speaks of better things. It doesn't speak of revenge. Not for your sins. It doesn't speak of your judgment. It speaks of your justification. It speaks of your forgiveness, of reconciliation, of peace with God, of your perfection before God. It speaks of better things. This is the law of kindness from Christ. This is what comes out from the lips of this woman, the law of kindness. Romans 8, 31 to 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The anticipated answer is no one. Why? Because God is greater than all. And if God is for you, there's none who can be against you. Verse 32. Now to the reason. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Christ is the one who died. He gave up his own son, delivered him to the cross for our salvation. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things freely? All matters of salvation are freely given. If it is not free, it did not come from God. I have to repeat that. It's a false teaching. In the matter of salvation, it has to come freely. That's what the Holy Spirit testifies of. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring a charge? Not the devil. Not any angel. Not your enemies. Not even yourself. It won't stick. You are a non-sticky pan. Teflon pan. No charge shall stick. This is crazy, amazing stuff. No one shall bring a charge before God. It may stick in all the other courts of men, but it won't stick in the courtroom of God. Because it is he who presides the judgment. It is he who justifies. It is he who declares one to be righteous. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen. It's Christ who died to make the payment. And also, his reason to do what? Who is even at the right hand of God. So the reason Christ has power, he is not in Palestine. He is seated at the right hand of God. All power and authority is with him. Who also, in that position, makes intercession for us. So now, he has reason to be the advocate, to intercede 
for us before God in everything. Verse 35, we shall separate us from the love of Christ. The anticipated answer is no one. Okay, so of what things that may potentially separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress, and these are expected to happen even to God's people, tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. God's people over the years have gone through these things to different degrees and are still going through all kinds of things. And that list is not exhaustive of the things that we can go through. But none of those things shall separate us from the love of Christ. And you can put there your own sin. Shall your own sin separate you from the love of Christ? The expected answer is no. Kind words. Those are kind words. The law of kindness on display. Christ not imputing any of our sins to us. Verse 27, going back to Proverbs 31. She watches over the ways of a household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Christ watches over the affairs of his household, the church. He has given his church, the Holy Spirit, to indwell his people and to govern the affairs of the church. The Holy Spirit is the governor of the church. The Holy Spirit wasn't given for everybody to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit was given to bear testimony, to bring witness to God's people about Christ, to teach them all manners of Christ. And Christ has raised men who are able to preach and teach his gospel. This is how he takes care of his church. And see that this woman, despite her wealth, does not eat food gained from idleness. She is well off, and yet somehow she cooks everything that she eats. Our Proverbs 31 women <laughs> will eat the bread of idleness at every given opportunity. <laughs> they will. But Christ is he who does not eat the bread of idleness. He worked every jot and tittle of the law. He came and worked, fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law so much that he is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Our salvation, as I say, did not come cheap. We are not redeemed by perishable things. That's the testimony of Peter. It was a product of diligence, of faithfulness, of hard work, of humility, of suffering, of tears. The Christ was a man of sorrows. He was smitten of God for our salvation. So remember the death of the cross, the shed blood, the weight of carrying the cross to Golgotha, the nail-scarred hands and feet. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That doesn't sound cheap to me. But we, in turn, 
do eat the bread of idleness because we contribute nothing towards our salvation. We are idle people. And that is consistent with the gospel testimony in Romans 4 that we are given salvation as a free gift, not as something that we end as wages. Everything that we have is 100% supplied by the obedience of Christ. Okay, verse 28 of Proverbs 31. A children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her children rise up. This is something that they prepare to do. It's a very specific testimony that they bring. It's very purposeful. When they rise up, it is to this end to call her blessed. Praising Christ is something that one has to be prepared to do. Because it is important and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is why we were resurrected from the deadness of sin. Being made spiritually alive that we may bless the name of Christ. The church blesses the name of Jesus. And say with the angels, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is Christ because he was slain. He's worthy of what? To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Her children rise up and call her blessed. The church rises and says, Christ is worthy to receive glory and blessing. He's worthy. And if Christ loses any of those that he died to serve, then he's not worthy. If he loses any of his sheep, then he's not worthy of blessing. But he's worthy because he keeps all his sheep. And he said in John 10, of all those that were given him, None can snatch them from his hands. No one is able to snatch his sheep from his hands and neither from the Father's hands. Okay? Jude 1, verse 24 and 25. Jude says, Now to the one who is able to keep you from falling and to cause you to stand, Rejoicing without blemish before his glorious presence to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time and now and for all of eternity. See the language that is used to bless God and to bless the Lord Jesus. To him be glory. Majesty, power. He already has these things. We are not giving them to him. We are just acknowledging that that is what he has and is. He has authority before all time and now and for all of eternity. Unchangeable. <laughs> Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever. Her husband is also praised by the children. Blessed be 
That's Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So the husband, as prominent as he is, also praises the wife. And that means God praises Christ. And Christ praises God. God glorifies Christ as Christ glorifies the Father. That's the connection. That they may be all and in all one God blessed forever. Amen. Verse 29 of Proverbs 31. Many daughters have done well, but you excel, excel them all. Many daughters have done well. Many people have done well. They have wonderful resumes. The Gandhis, the Martin Luthers, but in the gospel context, the law and the prophets have done well. And I'm sure maybe even Muhammad has done well. That's why he has a following. The saints of old have done well. Moses has done well. Job has done well. Joseph, Joshua, even angels have done well. But Christ excels them all. He's above them. That's the point. So we hear in Hebrews 1 from verse 5 and following. This is what Hebrews says about the Son of God. For to which of the angels did he ever say, did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I'll be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, firstborn in terms of preeminence, it's not firstborn of birth certificate, preeminent. He says, let all the angels of God worship him. Who else do angels worship? They only worship the one God. So if the son is receiving the same worship as God, it means the son is God. Let the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and these ministers a flame of fire. So this is the job function of the angels. But to the son, he says, verse 8, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the father tells us that the son has a throne and he's God. God is not afraid to call Jesus God. <laughs> your throne, O God, is forever and ever. How do you have a throne that is forever and ever if you are a created being? A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, speaking to Christ, your God, speaking to God the Father, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. He excels. With the oil of gladness more than your companions. Verse 10, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. This is the work of the sun. 
He laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They're just not the work of the big bang. These are the works of the sun. They'll perish, but you remain. Even the things that is created, they'll perish and he will remain and they'll all grow old like a garment. As we see, everything is getting old. Desertification, you name it, climate change, this thing is getting old. But it remains the same. And your years will not fail. Our years will fail. But which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? He never said that to any angel. But only to the son. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall inherit salvation? Like Lazarus, the poor Lazarus, when he died, Jesus told us that the angels came and took him to Abraham's bosom because he was one to inherit salvation. The angels know exactly when one of God's people is dying because our time of death is written by God. It's not random. So they're there. Otherwise, you get lost. Where are you going to go? <laughs> so the sun excels above them all. All these people with wonderful resumes, the sun is greater. But hear more of how great the sun is still in Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews 6. Sorry, Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 from verse 6. Comparing the ministry of the law, the priesthood, its weakness, the sacrifices and their weaknesses, and that old covenant, the Holy Spirit comes and says of Christ as the new high priest and sacrifice. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Three things there in that verse. Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry. His ministry is just excellent compared to what? To the ministry of the law. And that means he excelled them all. When you have more excellent, that's a comparison. His ministry is more excellent than the ministry of the law. But how did he excel? Better mediator. <laughs> he's a better mediator because he's God. He knows what he's talking about when he has to open his mouth. You don't want a foolish mediator. You don't want the Pope to be your mediator. You don't want him. He doesn't know what to say. He's a better mediator and mediator of a better covenant, which means the covenant in the blood of Christ is a better covenant than the covenant of the law. And that came only by him. Also, this covenant is established on better promises, better things, better, you're comparing. Christ has done better as a mediator as a high priest, even with the promises that he brings, they are better. Salvation by grace alone. There's nothing that beats it. 
you've done well. All these people have done well. But Christ is better. And we are here to preach about the one who is better. So if I was speaking to Muslims, I would tell them that this Jesus is better than Muhammad. And there comes the offense. But if I had reduced it to just washing dishes and doing laundry, no offense. But the Christ that we bring is better. It's better than all. Can be, is unbeatable. Okay. Verse 10. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, he shall be praised. Charm, as we know it, is, is deceitful in that it can be used to elicit favor from someone. Especially in a corrupt way. A lot of false prophets have a lot of charm. That is how they continue to trick people. Fill up their pews, doing all this crossover, foolish church services, where the so-called men of God has men and women taking off their clothes in church. I saw a video. Yeah, it happened this crossover. People are taking off their clothes, and they are sitting there taking a bath in the church. Supposedly. <laughs> That's foolishness. But the Holy Spirit says beauty is passing. And it can be deceitful too. But there are some people who are so beautiful that you actually think that they don't eat. They're so beautiful that they think that when they trip now to their own thinking, they think they're so beautiful that God owes them everything. That if they were to trip, they would fall right into heaven. Yeah? The point is this. These are outward things. And they do not profit because they are passing away. The Christ who does not get old is the one who remains. So what about Christ in regard to the deceitfulness of charm and beauty. Isaiah 53, the contrast. Isaiah 53, 1 to 3. We're almost done. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That is Christ. Christ is the arm of the Lord. God does all things through Christ. That's why when you read the New Testament, all of the work of God is through Christ. All creation through him. Salvation through him. That's two. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant looking vulnerable. And as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. When we see him, no beauty. And the New English translation translates verse 2 this way. He sprouted up like a twig before God, like a root out of parched soil. He had no stately form or majesty 
that might catch our attention. No special appearance that we should want to follow him. That's Jesus. And what that means is that Jesus would have failed the audition for a James Bond movie. He was not a Pierce Brosnan or a Sean Connery. That's what Isaiah 53 is saying. He was not that. Oh, Jesus, we are sorry. Uh, I don't think you can be our James Bond or all seven. Why? Because God determined that people should see his beauty, not physically, but in a spiritual sense. The beauty of Christ is found in his gospel of salvation. That's where the beauty is. It's not physical, it's spiritual. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So that is very much in keeping with that. The charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. So there are a lot of preachers saying a lot of beautiful things that is deceitful, that is passing away. They are not talking about the Christ who was despised and rejected by man, whose true beauty lies in his salvation. So the woman who fears the Lord, who shall be praised, is Christ. Christ is he who feared God. The testimony of Romans 3 from verse 10 says there's none who fears God. So the one who fears God or who feared God was Christ. In Hebrews 5, 7, we are told this, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was had because of his piety, because of his reverent submission, because of his godly fear. Christ was had because he is the one in the picture of the woman who had godly fear. It's Christ. He was had because of his submission. Verse 31, and that's the last of our verses that tells you where we are. <laughs> See how this ends. This is the conclusion of the matter. This is the conclusion of what has happened to Christ because of his work. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works Praise her in the gates. That's the end of the work of Christ. Give Christ the Jew of the works of his hands. That's what is being said. That means ascribe glory to Christ because of what he has done and God the Father has already done so. As Philippians 2 tells us that in the name of Christ, every knee shall bow. 
every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and on the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow. Christ shall be praised. Whether people praise him now or whenever, Christ is going to be praised. Give him due for the fruit of his works. Salvation is us coming and giving God praise to Christ for what he accomplished. That's what we all Christ. Praise him for what he accomplished. His works shall praise him in the gates. What are the works of Christ? It is the church. The church that he purchased and redeemed shall praise him in the gates. The church is to the glory and praise of Christ because God has revealed himself to his creation through the testimony of the church. Only the church understands and knows who God is. Everybody else is ignorant. It doesn't matter how educated they are. The mystery and the wisdom of God has been made manifest in the church. With all its issues, <laughs> with all its sin, the church is what has the true knowledge of God. Isaiah 61, verse 11. For just as the ground produces its crops, I took the NET translation of Isaiah 61, 11. For just as the ground produces its crops and the garden yields its produce, so the sovereign Lord will cause deliverance that is righteousness and praise to grow, to spring forth and give his people reason to praise him. <laughs> In the sight of all the nations, the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth and give his people reason to praise him in the sight of all the nations. God has given us reason to praise him. Only grace gives us reason to praise him. Sin gives us reason to praise him because left to ourselves, we are hopeless. God's grace gives us reason to praise Christ because Christ has caused our deliverance from <laughs> sin and death. And that to say, Christ is he who is in the picture of the Proverbs 31 woman. And we go and tell your friends and tell them the reason to praise him. This is not giving anybody reason to praise some other person. Yes, of course, we are to, as Paul said, consider other people as more important than others. Uh, that's Philippians 2 teaching, have this attitude, have this mind that was in Christ Jesus, that even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as robbery. But what did he do? He took up human flesh. He humbled himself, became a servant, obedient servant, and died on the, on the cross. So esteem one another, but give people reason by telling them the truth. 
to praise him. This one who has the law of kindness on his lips, his loving instruction. Christ is so kind to us. He's not like man. If you were like you and I, you would have killed us all way back when. And yet he bids us to come and find rest in him and says, take upon you my yoke. My yoke is easy. The yoke is an instrument of pulling a burden. Once you have a yoke on, know you're pulling something. You don't put a yoke on to go on vacation. It's for pulling heavy burdens. Christ says, put my yoke upon me and pull. But it's easy. Because there's nothing that you're pulling. My burden is light. Because it's all of grace. All done by Christ. Okay? All right, we're done. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you again and thank you for the testimony of Christ from the book of Proverbs, the picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being personified in the diligence of this woman, taking care of her family as Christ has come and provided food from afar for his household, the church, has weaved many wonderful things for us, giving us his own garments, white garments, righteousness, clean and bright, that we may appear in the presence of God without any spot or wrinkle and above reproach. We thank you for his kindness, his law of kindness that is on his tongues, that he speaks kindly to us, kind words about not being condemned. Lord, may you encourage your people by this truth. We honor you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.